Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Well, good morning, Sunridge. We hope that you're doing so, so well. I'm thinking right now about how we just eclipsed the one-year marker for when our world was seemingly turned upside down. And I wanted to take some time just to thank you our church family for coming around and supporting me and my family in the wildest of times. And to those of you who are guests today, we want to extend our warmest welcome to you. My name is Jed, and it's an absolute privilege and honor to serve as one of our pastors on staff here at Sunridge. We're kicking off a new series today called The Way of Redemption, which will take us all the way up through the Easter holiday And over the next several weeks, we hope that our teachings on Sunday mornings and the experiences that we'll invite you to participate in, which I'll talk about later on, produce a meaningful and memorable Easter. And in this series, we are going to travel alongside Jesus as he takes his steps toward Jerusalem, toward that cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And regardless of where you fall on that spectrum of faith or doubt or familiarity or lack thereof, we do hope that this is meaningful for you and we trust that it will be. So I want to give you the pathway for where we're going to be today so that you have mental placeholders for what I'm going to be talking about. And so I want to start by first talking about my most memorable experience with the drug 137 trimethylxanthine. And then secondly, I'm going to tell you about Jesus's face. Third, I want to talk to you about my favorite movie, which stars Robert Redford and how that reminds me of Jesus. Next, I'm going to tell you what I loved most about being a personal trainer. And then finally, I want to lead you through some moments of reflection, dialogue, and response. So let's begin with 137-trimethylxanthine. I remember it like it was yesterday. My eyes were bloodshot, and I was incredibly sleep-deprived. It was my freshman year of college. You hear how these things go, and it was the first week of finals. And I just spent the previous night breaking into the president of the university's executive boardroom. That's a story for another time. And had spent all night in that space with some friends throwing a party. And so there I was standing there before two canisters and I had a choice to make. Will I pull the orange trigger or the red trigger? And I pulled the red. Now some of you are hearing me thinking, what in the world is Jed talking about? We didn't know his character to be this way. And I can assure you that all the grand visions that you have in your mind about that party that I threw or this drug that I was about to partake is a lot less alarming than you might think it is. 137-trimethylxanthine is the scientific name for what you know as caffeine. 
and that rager of a party that I threw the night before was actually just me and some friends staying up all night, pulling an all-nighter to study for our history since 1500 final. That was my very first day that I can remember drinking coffee, and it was black coffee. I was there in the cafeteria. I was so tired from the night before of studying, and I was desperate, so I poured that cup of coffee, and what do you know? I aced that final. Here's the deal, however. I know that if we are doing correlational research on that, even though caffeine is a great stimulant and certainly does help with memory and performance, I can't contribute that A that I got on that test to 137. It was a factor for sure, but there was something else at hand. And what was at hand was preparation, time, energy, an investment of self, a belief that what I was participating in would have a worthwhile effect. You see, here's the thing. How we prepare generally demonstrates how much we care. And when we think about our preparation for things, there's a level of conscientiousness that we must have because we're constantly preparing or going about and doing things, but it's typically significant things, things that have risk involved, things that seem daunting, things that seem really significant or important that cause us to either reject and delay, procrastinate or be in denial, or to prepare wholeheartedly. And so the message this morning is called preparation, because we're going to see that the cross wasn't just some misfortunate occurrence in the life of Jesus that he stumbled upon, but that from the very beginning of his public ministry, he set forth with intention. As we journey toward Easter together as a church family, we would experience that same preparation. That's at least our heart. So let's talk about Jesus's face. Maybe you've heard of archaeologists or historians who have attempted to put together a more fitting representation of what Jesus, a 30-year-old Jewish man, actually looked like. Someone who was more rugged, who spent time outside in the sun, was perhaps dark-skinned and just far from the painting Pro-V, half-European, half-Spaniard, iconoclast version that you and I have probably seen. But when I'm talking about Jesus' face, that's not what I'm referring to. Instead, I'm talking about Luke chapter 9, verse 51, which grounds our time this morning. And it says this, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he, Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, it's super rare, very rare. And if you're looking at your note sheet, you'll see at the top, the passage of Scripture today is just one verse. And We really never do that here at Sunridge. There's no point in taking isolated passages of Scripture, one verse, and attempting to hang everything on that. And so I would encourage you to actually go back and read Luke chapter 9 when you have a chance. And if you really want to get into the narrative of what is happening here, go and read a translation like The Voice, which is available on BibleGateway.com. They do such an incredible job of giving people a sense of the story and its place, or use the ERV, the easy-to-read version. Either way, I'd encourage you, go back and read Luke chapter 9, and right in the thick of it, you will see what we just read. 
that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, what does this mean? What does this figure of speech that he set his face mean? You'll see other translations that say that Jesus resolutely set out or he steadfastly set out. And those are absolutely communicated in that idiom. There is a resolve for Jesus to go southbound toward Jerusalem, this final juncture of his journey. At this point in time, Jesus is probably no more than six or so months away from what we are going to celebrate at this time. But the celebration part of Easter is preceded by a gruesome, gruesome thing. It's not just all celebration. There's something to endure. Here's another thing to consider. Preparation and determination go hand in hand. And so as Jesus is setting his face to go toward Jerusalem, it's not as though suddenly, just at this moment, six or so months away, he's decided that he knows what he needs to do. He's been planning this from the very beginning. That set his face language is also really important because to readers of the Luke and Gospel that were familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, they'd find themselves in Isaiah chapter 50. It's one of the servant songs that we have in Isaiah, and I don't have this up on the slides, but there are four of these songs that take place between Isaiah 42 and 52. And in these four songs, there's this servant, this suffering servant of God who is supposed to accomplish his purposes. And many people have argued about who this servant is, but for Isaiah, as he prophesied, he was speaking about the nation of Israel. That's at least the way that we can read this. There was this hope that the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God, that they would posture themselves, that they would live and act in a way that was supposed to be so counterintuitive to the world around them, that they would be a light to the nations, that there would be justice and the serving out of God's purpose and mission. But Isaiah knows and we see that the nation of Israel doesn't live that out. And so there is this messianic hope and expectation. And so Jesus, as he goes to set his face toward Jerusalem, it's not surprising then that the early church and followers of him, people like us, would be able to go back and see that this prophesying of this servant would be rightly attributed to him being able to do what only he could do. Look at these words in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, beginning there. that says, The Lord has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me, who will declare me guilty. All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. 
You see that part right there in the middle where the suffering servant sets his face like flint, this material that is strong, resolved, and hard. Jesus here is journeying toward Jerusalem with an intensity to do what this Israel and no one else, again, could do. And what is that? It's to model a way that no one else had seen before. So I'm going to talk about that by showing you a picture of Robert Redford. And I said that my favorite movie stars Robert Redford. And this movie reminds me of Jesus. There's Robert a little bit older than some of those movies where he was seen as that stereotypical man. And this scene comes from a movie called The Last Castle. Again, this is my favorite movie. And if you have never seen this movie, I'd encourage you to go and find it somehow. Go and watch it. Again, it's called The Last Castle. The Last Castle stars Robert Redford, and he is a retired war veteran, highly decorated. And he has committed some sort of war crime. I don't remember exactly what he did. I think he endangered the lives of a unit that he was overseeing for the the greater good. And so he's sent in to go to this prison that's known as the castle. And this prison only contains former soldiers who have committed crimes of war. And inside of this prison, this castle, there is a warden, a man in charge, who is more sadistic in nature and has been secretly treating these prisoners very unfairly unfairly for his duration of service there. And so Robert Redford, he sentenced, he goes in, and as an upright man, he decides that all he is there to do is to quietly serve his time. He's not there to cause any sort of disruption. He's there to do his time. You can see in this picture, however, it seems like something crazy has gone on behind him. See, over the course of his stay there, as Robert engages with the inmates around him, he he begins to have a soft spot spot in his heart for the stories that they tell him. He actually sees the, the ways in which they are unfairly treated how this place is so much more than just a prison and inmates actually have lost their lives due to the behavior of this warden and his guards. And so it's a pretty predictable plot line from there. But Robert Redford ends up leading an insurrection of sorts and they overtake this castle. Now, I know I just gave you that story, but still, go back and watch it because you'll be surprised at how it turns out and the ways that that unfolds. What does this have to do with Jesus and how does it remind me of him? Well, that castle language, number one, reminds me of the heart of Jesus' teaching. And it wasn't castle-centric, it was kingdom-centric. More than anything else, Jesus spoke of the kingdom. And in Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And we've tried to say over and over that Jesus saying repent there. It's not like he was a sidewalk preacher screaming. It was an invitation to think differently. In the Greek, it's spoken in the present and active tense. It refers to this continuous motion. There isn't just a one-time decision where you turn around and suddenly your life is all different. And at the very beginning again, when Jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's issuing a chance for people to see that he is so different. And over the course of Jesus' three years of ministry, we start to see how he is different. He's different because of the way that he invests his time with people and the types of people that he invests in. He's different because of his interactions with people on the fringe the ways that the religious are curious of him at first, but then see that he's not necessarily working on their behalf. Jesus is going to do things that eventually set him up to so frustrate the system because he is so counter-cultural. But unlike Robert Redford, Jesus' compassion wasn't just stirred Suddenly, he he had that, but he knew from the beginning that that is what he was going to do. And he wasn't going to overthrow the Roman government by means of force or violence or hate. Instead, he was going to do that in the most surprising way. And we see that earlier in Luke chapter 9, where for the very first time, Jesus discloses to his followers that something is going to happen to him when he returns to Jerusalem. And it says this in verse 22, Matthew chapter 9. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And later on in that same chapter, Luke chapter 9, verse 43 says, while everyone was amazed at all he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the human hands. But they did not understand this saying. Its meaning was concealed from them so that they could not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. That was the second time. And then the third time in Luke chapter 18. Verse 43. Oops, 31. He took the 12 aside and said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. And after they have flogged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. But they understood nothing all about these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Unlike Robert who is scheming with these prisons, prisoners to overtake this castle, Jesus is going to model self-sacrifice and emptying. And he's not just going to display that. He is going to have to endure that. I told you that my fourth juncture would be talking about what I loved most about being a personal trainer. 
if I were joking with you, I would tell you that my favorite parts about being personal trainer uh, came during Christmas time because clients gave the very best gifts. And I can go on and on about the great gifts that were given by these incredibly generous people, but it's really not that. The thing that I could say I love most about personal training was transformation. It was transformation that people experienced. When they set out to do something that seemed impossible to them, something that would require an intense amount of planning, of preparing, of being determined, of being resolved, and enduring something incredibly difficult. I think about an 11 year old named Grace. And Grace was a middle school student who was ridiculed intensely at school. She was no more than five foot four and over 200 pounds. And I can remember Grace coming into the gym where I trained every single day. Her mom would drop her off and she would go sit down at the recliner bike and she would quietly just pedal slowly. Maybe she'd smile as she watched some uh, show on a phone or listened to her iPod. But for the most part, she kept very much to herself. And I would walk by and I'd say, hi, Grace. And she'd look over and nod her head. But there wasn't much interaction. Well, after months of doing that with Grace and attempting to make my way in relationally, she decided that she would actually try and have a workout with me. And fast forward a year later, I can remember taking Grace to the dumbbell rack and by that point, I would have her go over and pick up dumbbells that were the amount of weight that she used to carry. And on that particular Tuesday night, she walked over to the dumbbell rack with me and I lugged a 90-pound dumbbell and set it up on the bench. And I said, Gracie, pick up that dumbbell. And she tried with all her might to lift up that 90 pounds. She couldn't move it. But that was the weight that she had carried. That was the weight that she had ended up losing. And some people would say, that's so incredible that she experienced that physical transformation. And I lied to you a little bit when I said that transformation was my favorite thing because really, there's something about transformation that we all ought to know. It's, it's about relationship. See, relationship is at the heart of transformation relationship is everything. Life is all about relationship. From the cellular level to what we can limitedly apprehend about the cosmos, it is all about relationship, interdependence and dynamics, pull and push, back and forth. Opposite sides of a coin, this or that, choices. Everything is about relationship. And when we think about transformation, wouldn't it be that the only way that you and I could transform is if we consider the relationship that's at the very center of everything or which way or that way that you and I would want to transform? You see, when it comes to Jesus and his preparing not just of himself to physically endure, but the disciples, the people who will follow him. 
what he's preparing them to see is that there is so much of how they relate to the world around them that must be upended. It's how they see people. It's how they see themselves. It's how they view and believe God to be. All of it is about transforming relationship. Every single thing. And so today is we begin this series toward Easter. We ought to consider our relationship with even this holiday. So I told you that the fifth juncture, that we'd want to lead you through some moments of reflection, dialogue, and response. See, if, if Jesus had to prepare himself and if his followers had to experience multi-year preparation. It's striking to me that for how significant of a holiday, a time this is, Easter, that we would just run past it. And so I'm going to present a series of questions for you to reflect on in this time. And if you're at home with somebody, you can answer these questions amongst yourselves. And I'll just sit quiet for a little bit. And why don't you share with that person, if you're with someone, your answer to these things. And if you're by yourself, you can type it out in the chat and let one of our hosts know how you responded. Or if you wouldn't like to do that, you can sit quietly and contemplate these things. So here's the very first question. It's, it's pretty straightforward. What is the Easter season and holiday typically meant to you? Go ahead, take a few moments and answer that question. What has the Easter season and holiday typically meant to you? I might be cutting you off mid-conversation, but I hope that you would think about that a little bit more because what I would surmise or imagine is that for many of us, the Easter season has been reduced to not much more than just another date on the calendar, perhaps a service that we go to that's a little bit more exciting than the other one. We want, however, this year to be different for us at Sunridge Community Church. We want this year for us to to experience the meaning of Easter. We want it to be a time where our hearts and our being are prepared to actually encounter the, the greatness of what it means that Jesus Christ would endure for us. 
And so in order to do that this year, we've decided that rather than just teaching about these things, we're going to expand a little bit more on what we attempted to do last year, which is invite our church family and anyone who would want to, to participate in experiences and times of thinking and solitude and praying and reading that would hopefully allow us to engage more with what Jesus is setting out to do. Offer us real life and redemption and freedom. And so we're aware that just like many other things, our desire to have this be memorable and meaningful and different is going to be met with a whole host of obstacles. And that means distractions. So here's the thing that we want you to discuss amongst yourselves. Or again, you can put it in the chat. Consider this. What is a primary or consistent source of distraction for you? And when you reflect on this question, I know that the workplace can be distracting or your home life or a relationship or what have you can be distracting. Maybe it's your athletics or an upcoming test. But we want to think about something that's a little bit more tangible that we can't just not do. In other words, it wouldn't be helpful to suddenly not just show up to work or not come home or give up on that test. When we're talking about distractions, we mean something that consumes a, a great deal amount of your time and energy that could be repurposed toward having your heart more prepared to be with Jesus in this time of us going toward Easter. It could be your consumption of social media or the news in general. It could be a video game. It could be some other action or behavior, again, that isn't in its own right wrong, but that you spend time on that could be set aside temporarily in order to think about this season. So talk amongst yourselves. What's that primary source of distraction? After considering that, we want to take a posture of actually confessing that. And we're going to, in this time, think through how we can acknowledge that before God with the intent of temporarily setting it aside during this season. So whatever that distraction was for you, maybe let's say social media or binge watching this show. Again, I, I know I'm going right to those tech things, but whatever it is for you, we're going to encourage you in this time to confess that before God because over the next week, we're going to consider laying that aside, taking a fast of sorts from it so that we can, and I'll explain 
take part in experiences that will center us a little bit more. And so for this portion, uh, we're going to do something that, that might be a little bit odd for you. We're going to consider the cardinal directions of wherever you're standing. And I'll explain why in a moment. But if you have your phone, you can take that out and figure out where north, south, east, or west are. And if you can, face your body and posture it toward the west. And I just happen to be in this position already. But from where I'm sitting, uh, this is west. And, and because you're at home or potentially in a place where you can do this, I encourage you to put your hands in this position, in this giving to God. We, we say this, this, this can be a receiving position, but there's a giving as well. And you can use these words on the screen for whatever it is that you considered. You can say, Lord, I acknowledge that unless I intentionally lay this aside, whatever it is, it would distract me from your invitation to follow and prepare. So I'm going to give you a few moments. And why don't you use those words and confess that, share that, acknowledge that. I just took part in that experience with you. I mean, it's kind of scary to say this out loud because I just decided it. I'm going to say that that primary source of distraction for me, because it'll be inclusive of a lot of things, is my laptop. And while I'm saying it here, there's accountability now outside of work purposes for this upcoming season. I'm going to be setting that aside. So in doing so, if you're facing the West, and we talked about in Luke 9, 51, how, how Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. And so if you're postured in the West, I'd like to encourage you to actually about face and go in the other direction and to set your face toward Jerusalem, a physical act of going toward that with him to prepare us for this journey of walking with him. So I'm going to take this and I'm going to turn this way. And there's language on the screen and as I'm turning around, I don't remember exactly what it is, but something along the lines of, Lord, I commit to intentionally setting this aside so that I can prepare my heart to celebrate your resurrection and the gift of redemption. As I'm postured this way, I ask you to do the same. Take a few moments, turn yourself, and would you commit alongside us for this next week at the very least to set aside that distraction and then participate in the experiences that I'll be talking about in a moment.
it might be weird to have spent several minutes on the back end of a message participating like that. But I don't know about you. There's something different about you sharing and you responding and you not just listening to me talk at you, which isn't really an effective way to learn anyways. Again, we said earlier, we really do hope and pray that this Easter season season is memorable and meaningful in a way that perhaps it hasn't been in a long time. And because of that, our staff behind the scenes, we've committed ourselves to doing our absolute best to invite all of us into an experience where we can prepare ourselves for Easter. And so one of the things that you'll be receiving, and you'll have a link there for those of you who are online, is a link to a journey to Easter landing page that's on our website that has a host of experiences, daily experiences for you and I to participate in. And what I'm showing you right now is a very simple calendar that we've put together with QR codes. And I'm not tech savvy myself, but I know now that I can take my phone and I can open up the phone app and I can scan it over one of these boxes and magically there's an invitation to click onto a website and that will take you to our website where there are every single day something for you to participate in. And again, when we talked about laying something aside, when we think about the amount of time that can consume us for this or that, we're we're not just saying abstain from something. We want to actively participate and replace that with opportunity. And so every single day, you will see a QR code, you'll scan it. And our hope is that you would take some time and that you would do these experiences on your own or perhaps with a friend or your family. And as we do these, as we go through them, we prepare our hearts for what will culminate as Easter Sunday. And I shared about this last week in person when I did church life, but on Easter Sunday for the first time here at Sunridge, we are actually going to have a sunrise service. And we'll give you the exact times, but currently right now, sunrise is projected to be sometime around 6.30 that Sunday. And we know that it's incredibly early. We know that typically we want Easter to be about when we can make it so that we can get to brunch or what have you. But if we are going to set our hearts if we're going to prepare ourselves to experience the fullness of what Jesus has done for us, to be in relationship with him, then there's no better way than for us to experience the light coming back into the world and remembering that if it were not even just for the idea of Jesus and the resurrection, which we believe is more than an idea, that you and I wouldn't be in relationship, that none of this that we call Sunridge Community Church wouldn't be. And so in this time, would you join us in sacrificing some of your personal desires for the sake of celebrating the one who would sacrifice everything for us? Sunridge and to whoever is watching, let's make this Easter season meaningful and memorable indifferent. Let's prepare ourselves. I'll see you next week, Sunridge. 
Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.